Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hello, welcome back to Oz Business Australia's only live streaming business and markets channel. Great to have your company. Just gone midday on a Friday. Hope you're enjoying the end of the working week. And of course, that is time for the call. 10 stocks suggested by you, two experts giving you their opinion all in the next 60 minutes or so. And uh, we welcome uh, a new member to the uh, to the calls panel today, Richard Hemming from Under the Radar Report. Richard, good to see you, mate. Oh, it's great to be you know, a new member of the team. It's been a long time since anyone's <laughs> called me that, but I'll take it. I'll take it. I'm here and I'm, I'm ready to oh, perform. Because Under the Radar is really specialises in those micro and small caps, doesn't it? Well, that's what market. we're best known for. Because yeah. like, you know, for a long, I've been in the markets for a long time. I know I look really young, but um, I've been around for a bit and growth has always been the thing that I've been focused on ever since covering big caps. And what I like about small caps is there's not... There's not many people that cover them, so yeah. hence the under the radar. Fabulous. And growth is what excites people. That's certainly yeah. what gets investors out of bed. And that's a bit of a theme amongst your 10 stocks you've suggested for us today. So it is right in Richard's lane here. So I can't wait uh, to get his opinions on another of them. And of course, joining us on this Friday afternoon is an old mate of the call, Andrew Wheelard from DP Advisors from Toowoomba. Andrew, good to see you, sir. Just before you lock us out completely. Well, you know, what, what, what can I say? It's uh, there, what was it? There was a poll that, that recently was done, and 94% of Queenslanders are supporting the closure of the borders. So you yep. can certainly talk about the politics of it with an upcoming election. But uh, wouldn't want to be on a queue on the M1 at the moment coming uh, into no. the Gold Coast. I think you've got no, but that ninety-four percent is that any different to last year before COVID that Queenslanders <laughs> wanted the borders closed? Oh, we're happy to have the cockroaches come up the state of origin, kick them back <laughs> and send them back home. We're certainly happy to do that. <laughs> All right, mate. Good to have you aboard, and uh, looking forward to your views on things. But before we get into your ten stocks. I always choose a stock of the day, something that's a bit in the news. And uh, a bit of a favourite of uh, the call, of course, is Resmed, one of our, our global uh, med tech companies. You know, there's CSL, Cochlear and Resmed, which are uh, at the top of the tree of that sector. It came out with a strong earnings uh, report for its uh, fourth quarter. Revenue up 9% to $770 million dollars and the medical equipment maker benefiting from the COVID-19 emergency. With net operating profits not all that far from doubling, Chief Executive Mick Farrell was saying the fourth quarter was all about supporting the COVID-19 pandemic response through increased manufacturing of our ventilator. So all in all, a great result. Uh, But Andrew Whelan, uh, resident shares dropped 7% yesterday. off uh, early in the trading day today, another 6% dragging the market down. Hell, what do you have to do? Uh, David Koch, buy the rumour, sell the fact. 
Right. That's 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 pretty much it. And it's uh, it was a great result, but a lot of expectation had been built into that. And undoubtedly, you'll pull up a chart in a moment, which you'll basically just see it just going off the charts, literally. Uh, I mean, this is a company that's returned 29% per annum over the last, there we go, 29% per annum over the last five years. And if we compare that to the share market, which over that same period of time, you know, Richard talks about growth, well, the share market has only returned 5.5%. This has done nearly six times the market return every year for five years. So it is a stellar company. As you said, it's really being hurt relating to COVID-19 with its sleep business. But perversely, uh, COVID-19 has been great for it from the ventilator side. Yep. So uh, not that we really want to see the ventilators continuing to be sold, but it's going to take around 18, 24 months for that sleep business to get back on track. But this is probably our second preferred healthcare company. And on weakness, we're looking at it very closely. It's a, it's a great business. Okay, so is this what you class on weakness? Mm, usually it's the three-day rule, Koshi. So, you know, three days for good or bad news to wash through. We're on day two. Also on a Friday afternoon, that's why I like to share my time with you and the Ausbiz viewers. Friday afternoons are a bit quiet. You know, we don't like to be buying coming into a, a Saturday morning on the US. So, uh, but certainly Monday, if they continue to cop a bit of a battering on Monday, I'd be having a look at them. The other thing that we've got to bear in mind, Koshi, is those US earnings. And given what's going on at the moment right. relating to where the dollar is, that's probably another short-term headwind. But Monday, if they're coming off again, I think uh, certainly for DP clients, that's something we'd be looking at very closely. Right. Richard, what do you think of ResMed? At this stage? I think it, it just shows what's going to be a theme during the reporting season is that expectations are very high because there's been a lot of money pushed um, yep. towards certain stocks which you know ResMed's achieved a, a lot in its long life um, you know it's like part of a um, Australian healthcare kind of um, I guess phenomenon if you can say yep. that with yep. CSL and like that really really when the, the market's going to be really putting the screws on stocks to look at what's maintainable. And what, what the market saw was that SAAS um, or software as a service revenues were down. And um, like, you know, you might get the sales through the door now, but equities are the most sort of forward looking markets and they're, they're, they, they, they were taking some risk off. Um, right. And like, I, I just think, if you see that to jump in and say, okay, buy on weakness, you, you know, the momentum in a stock like ResMed is pretty strong and you really want to see their underlying, what their underlying business was and what we saw wasn't impressive. It, was, or it wasn't as impressive as the market had hoped right. and now that was, the market was hoping a lot. Yeah. But that's what we're going to see this reporting season is people doing sort of like a real financial analysis because we really are in a stock picking world now, yeah. like where the market's not going to lift all votes and people are going to look at, well, what is the maintainable earnings? That is going to be yeah. so hard to work out. But, you know, yeah. um, from, a, from a first read, people weren't, people yeah. were disappointed. And, and it was quite interesting on the same day Nick Scarley came out. Oh, God, well. And the share price went through the roof. Uh, to back your point up, yeah. They looked at the underlying numbers of Nick Scarley and said, look, it's been a great performer over the years. And then so Nick Scarley is also backed up by dividends. So people yeah. see that that consistency of performance and they know that things aren't going to change for a while, but people are going to keep spending on furniture because yeah. they're, they're, you know, they're diverting their spending away from travel or yeah. going out to restaurants. 
yeah. to a couch so they can just drink more beer. <laughs> I mean, not, yeah. not, I mean today not is just... International Beer Day, by the way. All oh, right, yeah, okay. Well, uh, well, well, you know, let's just remember that. And uh, the Queenslander will sort of <laughs> celebrate with a 4X. Um, were you impressed with Nick Scarley, Andrew? Oh, the short answer is yes, but I guess if we're comparing Nick Scarley to Resmead, and I don't think we could find two more polar opposite companies. Yes. Uh, one selling ventilators to keep people alive. One is where we can sit comfortably on a couch, you know, like, I'm not trying to make light of this, but um, we're not really comparing apples with apples. Uh, Nick Scarley is a, is a great business, but we, we are drawn to the defensive nature of ResMed every day of the week. Right. Um, but, yeah, look, certainly, as I seem to have frozen me, but, um, yeah, certainly the Nick Scarley result was great, but equally so, the market's got ahead of itself. It is, uh, it's certainly priced to perfection, and the share price is sort of uh, mm. showing that as well. We still prefer ResMed. Okay. All right, let's get into the first of the stocks that you've recommended and sent through to us. And, Philip uh, wants a view on Reed Cloud, a, a technology company um, in the e-book business and e-learning um, industry, um, sources content from a whole bunch of different publishers and uh, delivers books to uh, online books to school curriculum and uh, through a digital form. Um, Richard, what do you think of uh, Reed Cloud? Well, this is like, um, you know, ResMed to a degree in that it's ticking the boxes of what people sort of are looking for, you know, in the kind of, you know, swimmers from COVID-19. But yeah. like, you know, unlike ResMed, it's very, very small with a market yeah. capitalization of sub, sub 50 million, 30, yeah. 30 something million. So you're going to see the share price move a lot, you know, a lot, a gap up and down a lot more quickly. And these are the sort of stocks that you shouldn't chase. Um, I just think it is, a, it's trading on around five times revenues. Um, it's got a sort of nascent sort of business model. So it, it hasn't got a proven track record. So like, I just think with these sort of stocks, you really want to see earnings track over, how earnings track over, over time and not chase. So right. I, I wouldn't, I just, a lot of these sort of little companies, they, they're, you know, it's, it's hard to get in and then it's even harder to get out. Yeah. So you want to be very careful with your money. Like I think the whole point that I'd like to reiterate or make t today is that, you know, fear of missing out FOMO like we're seeing that now, whereas before we were seeing don't don't sell the baby with the bathwater in the teeth of the in the teeth of the selling. Now we're seeing this FOMO yeah. sort of thing. So investing's a long term game. You don't really want to react too quickly. So we've always said keep your position small yeah. and have a firm idea of what the maintainable earnings are. With okay. this one, it's a bit early to say that, but we do. There is something there. It's right. Just, okay. Uh, uh, Andrew. Yeah, so in, in the spirit of sort of opening statements, uh, to, as you know, normally, Koshi, when we do this, it's prim primarily ASX 200 stuff we've been covering off on. So first yep. of all, thank you to you, the viewers, because this has been really interesting. There's been a number of companies here that hadn't really been on my radar. So I've gone, gee, that looks interesting. So that's great. But to Richard's point, equally, so most of these are really small. So let's talk about Reed Cloud. You know, we have $21,000 worth a day traded. So, mm. you know... Richard's, you know, described it as, um, you know, easy to get into, difficult to get out of. I'd describe it as a crab pot. 
Right. So, you know, you've got to think about that. When you're looking at a lot of these companies, they're small and they're certainly up and comers, but again, to Richard's point, you wouldn't put a lot of money into it. If we're talking specifically about Reed Cloud, though, the big thing that attracts me to it is that you've got the Thorny Group, uh, which is sort of, you know, the, the Pratt family yes. investment arm. Uh, they're a major shareholder. That sort of gives me a fair bit of confidence. The top 20%, sorry, the top 20 uh, shareholders control 77% of this company, which sort of speaks to its illiquidity. And the management team own 23%. And as you know, Koshi, that's all the times I've been sort of doing this with you. One of the things I'm really bang on, banging on about is how much is management invested in this? You know, these people, and again, in these ASX 200 companies that are paid millions of dollars and own no shares, hmm. I mean, how can you as, you know, have any confidence as a part owner of the business if management doesn't? So certainly management believes the story, uh, strong revenue growth, the whole thematic around the pandemic plays into this. I mean, it's 200,000 books across 350 schools. It's about 112,000 students that they have. That's not the market. The market's a lot bigger. Um, consensus on it is 60 cents. So bottom line, I like it. But to Richard's point, just be cautious, just be steady. There's no rush on this. Yeah. And as you say, uh, with Thorny being a major shareholder, that that's a private investment arm of the Pratt family, is that? Correct. Yeah. Uh, well, they, they also have a listed entity as well, TOP from memory. Yeah. But, uh, you know, one of the things we're looking at uh, when and one of these other companies will talk about, about a little bit later, you're looking at who's the management, but you're also looking at who are the major shareholders. I mean, we've seen it recently with IHR and with Bevan Slattery uh, putting some yeah. money into there and the share price has gone ballistic. Uh, yeah. We've spoken previously about Polynovo. You know, it's it, one of the things is around following the money. So certainly the Thorny family being in there gives us uh, a high degree of confidence in this yep, as well. Sure. All right. Uh, thank you for that one, uh, that suggestion, Philip. Uh, Nick, uh, Andrew has asked for an opinion on Archer Materials. Um, it's got a focus on integrating graphite and graphene uh, in reliable energy and quantum technology and, and mineral <laughs> exploration. What it means, I have no idea, but, but Archer Materials. Yeah, well, of course, I think you had a little bit to play with the choice here today, didn't you, Koshi? Because there's two South Australian companies, including this one. Yep. So uh, certainly it is a mixed bag of lollies, if I can put it that way. They're a quantum technology company and they're a tungsten miner and there's certainly plenty going on there. From what I took away is if they can actually get this quantum technology working... Uh, it is literally a game changer. I mean, I was reading stuff that was talking about the ability to unlock nuclear codes if they can actually sort of commercialise this quantum computing as opposed to binary computing, which is what we have at the moment. So certainly the technology is interesting. They recently did a placement at 60 cents. Uh, and so that's probably going to be sort of weighing on the share price a little bit. Um, look, from my point of view, it's certainly one that looks interesting, but... To me, if I was being unkind, I'd say they really need to figure out what's their core business. Is their core business mining or quantum <laughs> computing? Um, and so, so from that point of view, I'm, I'm cautious. I'm, I'm right. certainly, as Andrew the nerd, interested to see how they go, but as an investor... <laughs> yeah, Maybe not. All right, Richard? Well, I think Google are probably looking over their shoulder, aren't they? The, alpha, <laughs> the people at Alphabet, you know, they're, they're spending billions on quantum computing and they're thinking, boy, 
these guys from Archer, <laughs> they're onto something. Um, and you know, like Google, this company sort of is all over the place a bit, but unlike Google, they're not making, you know, billions and billions of dollars in revenue. And I yep. think that's a, a bit of a difference there. Yep. Uh, I think, you know, I just think, I just, I just think like these companies, you can just wait. Yeah. You just wait and see if they, it's almost inevitable when you look at them that they're going to be raising capital soon. Yeah. So why bother putting yourself in the firing line for pre-capital raising? Have a look, maybe if they raise capital. Right. Yeah. Because okay. these companies are on cash burn. So what you have to look at is how quickly they're burning cash, because yeah. like it's clear that they haven't they haven't got a cash machine there that's gonna. Like what, what you like is in some businesses is like, okay, they've got a low, low growth business that's, but that's spinning off cash, but they're, you know, they've got some irons in the fire on the growth side of things. Yep. Some of these, all this is, is just pure growth. Like growth does not pay for itself. Growth consumes capital. Right, okay. <laughs> so, all right, would you, and they've just placed 60 million, so as Andrew was saying, so they've done it reasonably uh, reasonably early. So there you go, Nick, a, uh, a view on, on Archer there. Um, Richard Amero, is it pronounced? International, uh, 3D printing, yeah. but, yeah. and, and th- yeah. 3D makes all sorts of things at the, at the moment. <laughs> it's just inc- incredible technology. These guys do 3D printing in uh, alloys for the defense and aerospace industries. They um, they're sort of a, a new age tooling business, you know, yeah. the, uh, the old fashioned tooling business with big factories and big machines. Well, now you do it as um, basically 3D using new technology. Um, they want to start distributing these printers in, in North America. It's, it's interesting technology, by the sound of it. What do you think no, of the, the company? The question is, at my retirement, will we be saying, will you be saying, Rich, remember we talked about Amero? <laughs> yep. There's a pretty low probability of that happening. I don't know where the low probability exists, but right. on many levels in that statement. Yep. But I think, um, you know, it's just, it's 15 million market cap. Like, it's yep. really, it's so small. It's like an idea with a listing. Yeah. Like I'm not like the the ASX just has so many companies on it that are, that maybe should be in the hands of private capital, not yeah. not listed. And this could be one of them. I'm not saying it is because I haven't. I've done like you the research, but there is one one that we looked at that was um, sort of in surface, uh, like in like um, basically surface um, technology, um, like surface engineering technology right. called. Um, What's it called? Like laser bond, right? And that's got a fifty million market capitalization. So that's much smaller. But get this, it pays dividends. So right. it's a dominant player in 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 its in its in its in its business in Australia, and it's made an acquisition. So it's looking to grow from that. So right. that's that's a company that's producing real money, uh, real revenues, real profits, and and dividends. Yeah. So I would say that maybe it doesn't have the sexiness of the other company, but you know, you, you've got a much lower pro- probability of losing your money. Right. And you've got um, probably, you know, it might not shoot the lights out, but as, as I mentioned before, we're in a marathon, like that, that friend of yours swimming between the Greek islands. Yep. <laughs> you know, you don't want to get, you know, you don't want to look at it as a sprint and, um, you know, get puffed out and rescued. Yep. Yeah. For, for the, you know, yeah. Okay. All right. Um, or Santorino or whatever. Yeah. Santorini. <laughs> Andrew, what do you think of a company like Amero? And 
sort of another um, uh, favourite of the, the call, which we only looked at uh, yesterday, uh, electro-optic is sort of in that sort of defence industry space as well and, and building components. Yeah, look, it's an interesting business and it's been, if we're talking about Amiro, it's actually been spun out of academia. It was actually um, spun out of Monash University. So, you know, to Richard's point around why they're listing, well, I mean, certainly private equity would have been a place for them, but I'd suggest it's all the, also the university trying to commercialise their wow. IP. Um, I, I mean, you spoke about one of the places they've been is in the aerospace. Well, that's not a happy little place at the moment. And, you know, some of their major customers include um, Airbus and also Boeing. And if you have a look at how their share prices are going, they're not going sort of so well at the moment. Um, they've also got Woodside and Fletcher insulation as clients. Again, it's another one. I want, another one of these that is highly liquid. Only about twenty-six thousand shares, twenty-six thousand dollars a shares traded a day. Yep. And the other thing that's probably concerning the market is that the founders still own forty-two percent. So, in other words, you've got that overhang there. The probability that over a period of time more shares will come onto the market. So, exciting wow. technology, wrong customer mix. And there's probably still too many shares that are potentially going to be sold down on you. So it's probably another one in which you'd keep an eye on it. But in the context of future trends, certainly you'd have to think 3D printing is absolutely where it's going to be. Yeah, absolutely. All right. Uh, our next stock, uh, Andrew, so has been suggested by Will, probably more in uh, my lane way here, the Digital Wine Ventures Group. Uh, they're a, an Australian wine distribution company focused on China. They just raised, what, $6 million to expand its wine depot platform um, and basically selling Australian wine to the Chinese market um, and, and you buy it online. It's an interesting model, Koshi, because if you think about it, a lot of these wineries actually are regionally based. So you know, I'm talking about Queensland for a moment. We've got some great wineries, not only here but in Toowoomba, but also yep. sort of just down the road at the Granite Belt. Uh, but not easily accessible. So if you can have a company that basically has depots nearby whereby these companies can ship their goods so that, you know, you and I are online at 11 o'clock at night and, you know, we want to be buying the wine, it's going to be delivered much quicker than yep. it is if it's coming from Ballandine or somewhere like that. So the underlying business itself looks really interesting. But then, as you said, they're exposed to China. Do you reckon that's such a good thing at the moment? Probably not. Um, the other thing that I think has probably got the market a little bit concerned is the CEO is selling shares. You know, like, again, you'd have to think to yourself, if they had such a firm view on it, why would they actually be selling? So, but as, plus the overhang as well. The, the underlying business sounds really interesting, and I think the, str the strategy is right. It's just, you know, again, do they have the wrong customers, given what's going on in the sort of geopolitical space, um, and the fact that not enough people are following it because it's only a 30-odd million dollar company. Yeah, and uh, here in Australia, you have groups like Naked Wines. It's not, not listed, but it's a similar sort of thing, isn't it? It's a, a wine subscription you can buy online, and they... Um, they they aggregate a lot of small wineries um, product uh, that you can get at a reasonable price. I mean, I think, Koshi, the issue with Australia, I love Australia, don't get me wrong, but we're just too small. Yeah. You know, like our, our entire market is not even the size of California. 
um, we don't have the population base. Now, again, in the case of something like corona, that's a great thing. But from an economic point of view, arguably the way I'd look at what digital wine's trying to do is basically build themselves up to a scale and then a big player comes and takes them out. Right. Uh, yeah. A big international player comes and takes them out. So whether it's an Amazon or someone like that, you know, get that infrastructure, get the customers, get the merchants, have all that in place, and then the big company comes and takes them out. I'd suggest that's probably where we're at with this. Yep, absolutely. Uh, Richard, what do you think of uh, digital wine ventures? Oh, I think trading by appointment is always a scary place to be when you're a, a retail investor or any yeah. investor, really. And I think Andrew was what Andrew was saying was right, but would you really buy a company on the basis that Amazon... I mean, Steve, like Amazon's got bigger fish yeah. to fry than yeah. a little... Yeah. I just think it's just... Um, you know, it's just one that wouldn't wouldn't yeah. I, I wouldn't um, put too much energy into it. Um, it's an insider's business, and um, you know, like if you're, that, there's a lot of interesting points to it. But put it on your watch list, and yeah, if if you if you have an interest in wine, and see if you can get shareholder discounts on on wine yeah. or something. But to to Andrew's point, though, if you can build up a what say a wine platform that the Chinese love and mm. Chinese love our wine, even though there's a fair bit of uh, technical or, or political tension between the two countries. Uh, if you can, if you can, but like culture. in this sort of business, scale is everything. Yes. And this is undercapitalized to achieve that sort of scale. So yeah. they'll be just asking for money yeah. all the time. And like, you know, it'll always be jam tomorrow. Yep. And I think, I think um, yeah, okay, we, we're all in agreement as, as, like that there is a strategy there, but yeah. I think that, that part, of, part of a strategy is where's, where's the money going to come from? Yeah. And if you invest in this, you're investing on the basis that, okay, you're putting in some money now, but expect to put in some money, more and more tomorrow. Yep. So, okay. okay that, you know, you've got to be prepared for that kind of um, cash call. Sure. Okay. Our next stock has been suggested by Simeon uh, Richard, Next Science Limited. Um, it uh, is in uh, medical technology business, uh, by, by the sound of it, based in, in the United States, uh, has four uh, products cleared with the FDA, and um, uh, it's a focuses on um, managing infections and uh, chronic wounds in, in surgical theatres. Uh, very specialised. Yeah, well, I mean, I think they've really been hit hard by COVID-19 restrictions and they're, yeah. you know, they're burning cash at the rate of um, eight, eight US a, a year and they've got like 11 or 12 on the balance sheet. So yeah. this company is going to need to get money soon. And, yeah. and that's what the share price is reflecting. Yeah. You know, it might have all the good sort of, you know, their wound um, uh, wound therapy in the world, but there's a, there's a lot of competition in that market. I, they're not making any revenues. It's just cash burn. Right. And, and their operations are ground to a halt because of COVID-19 restrictions. Yep. Okay. So it's a tough, they're in a tough position. Tough market, yeah. Yeah, they're in a tough, tough yep. way. Andrew, what do you think of Next Science? It's actually not a micro cap. It's, uh, mm. it's got three digits for the market cap. So it's got 230 <laughs> odd million for the market cap. So in other words, it's, it's more on the radar. Uh, look, the technology itself is really interesting. That back, back issue, hopefully I'll present, I'm talking about that uh, correctly. What it's doing is it's sort of attacking uh, bacteria, fungus and viruses, taking away that sort of uh, outer layer as such, which actually allows antibiotics to work. 
So the actual underlying technology is really interesting. Uh, but as Richard said, you know, the big issue for them of late has been sort of COVID-19 and the shutdown of electric surgery. But if you look at that chart, that chart basically tells you the wheels started falling off well before COVID. COVID's mm. really just sort of accelerated it. Uh, the cash burn is a concern. They're only holding 11 million and they're burning through about 2 million a month, uh, 2 million a quarter rather. So as a consequence, that's really what's sort of going on at the moment, that um, the market is concerned about that. Um, short interest is rising. Yeah, look, I, I think the technology is really interesting. Again, me personally, I'd prefer like a Polynovo or an Avita or something like that. But it's one that I'd be looking at pretty closely because that whole efficiency of antibiotics is a huge issue. And if someone can get that right, there's a lot of money to be made. But to Richard's point, they just need to get a couple more dollars in the door first and try and stem that cost to right. stop that cash bleed. Okay. All right. That's our uh, first five stocks plus stock of the day. Just to recap uh, the stocks, first of all, ResMed, a no from Richard, but um, Andrew sees it as a great company if you can buy it on a, on a pullback. Uh, that's when you need to be doing it. Um, Reed Cloud, a no from Richard. Um, uh, sparked a bit of interest from, uh, from Andrew because Thorny is one of the major shareholders, the big Pratt family investment company. So maybe worth watching. A no from both on Archer uh, Materials, Amero and, and Digital. Uh, Next Science, um, a no from Richard. Uh, Andrew would probably lean towards more a Polynovo uh, at the moment, which is in that, that similar space. Uh, but one worth watching because of the technology. Our sixth stock, and um, Richard Bradley wants a view on Quickstep Holdings. Again, it's in um, that aerospace, defence, automotive, manu manufacturing of, of, uh, of parts, composite parts using different sort of very specialised manufacturing by the look of it. Yeah, um, David, it's, it's one that's been around for a long time. I mean... They basically have this um, technology that produces um, carbon fiber quite quickly, but like really the engine room of the company as they've learned the hard way, like initially they wanted to try to use that process to try and enter the automotive market, but right. then like, you know, batteries have gained the ascendancy. So the lightweight isn't as important for the reduction of mm. um, pollution. But like, you know, what they do have is a, in, like a, an in, inroad into the giant military, <laughs> um, the US military factory, producing parts for the Hercules and more prominently for the um, Joint Strike Fighter. Oh. Um, so they produce like tail flaps and f I think it's called fuse fuse boxes or something. Right. You know, yep. you know when you you watch them like late line, you know the defunct show Lightland, yeah. which I, you know I quite miss actually. <laughs> but they they had at the start. These, these fuses that went on, so they were to deflect people, you know, the, the enemy fighters, so, right. so the, the weapons. Yep. So that's what they, they're in the, the, the running for producing the, the fuse mm. housing, ah. so, or the fuse box housing. So if they get that, it's a big deal for them. Right. So, but the, and, and they're in the running. And, and so there is some optionality on this company. They also have a new management who's who's got a, a background uh, like a. Every time I hear the Northern English accent, I instantly kind of <laughs> trust the person <laughs> more than more than the Southern English accent actually. But um, I, 
basically this company is producing good cash because they've got big contracts with the blue with the bluest of blue chip customers. Right. They've got a potential, you know, with this coming uh, mm. with contract renewal, right. and they've reduced their costs, reduced their working capital demands. So th- there's a turnaround occurring, but they, you know, there, there's a bit of there's a there's a bit there's potential from from contracts. Right. They've got the, the p- capacity. So they just, they've got a Bankstown. Um, yeah, they're based uh, at Bankstown, aren't yeah, they? Yeah, they're based yeah. at Bankstown. And um, like, it's really, you know, it's really a, an Australian success story. It's just that, you know, like we, we promoted Austal for a long time and yep. that came good. I'm not saying this is another Austal, but it is it is in the running. Like they, they've got mm. the big customers, like they're subcontractors to Lockheed Martin, uh, um, to Boeing, uh, no, yep. to Lockheed Martin and, and some of those other really big, like the um, big, big contractors to the US right. military. Andrew, what do you think of Quick Step? Oh, look, I think the underlying thematic is right and certainly defence spending and ticks all those boxes. You know, again, we're, <clears throat> one of the, the measures we use is management, but we also <coughs> look at history, Koshi. And mm. history has not kind to Quick Step relating to having a, a history of going to the market and suggesting they're going to do stuff and uh, not necessarily delivering and then going back and raising some more money, diluting existing shareholders. Uh, I mean, if you just, I mean, you're looking at that chart there over the last five years, they're down 13% per annum relative to, again, the share market being up 5.5% per annum over that same period of time. So I have to say, like some of these ones that we spoke about before, we're willing to give them a little bit of rope uh this one i'm just a straight no right okay all right a no on quick step um peter would like a opinion on energy one now this is a um a software business but quite a specialized one uh for um energy companies to basically trade (coughs) a trading platform to uh to trade energy a lot of australians andrew prudent probably wouldn't understand that there is an open market for energy that you can buy off the grid and... Um, well, they know Enron. Yeah, <laughs> they know Enron, but it's a software company that helps them do that. They just made a purchase at the end of last year, um, uh, Easy Energy, a, fr- a French company. Now, they're across 18 countries, their clients, but this is a trading platform for, for big um, electricity retailers, isn't it? Yeah, Koshi added, so again, remember my sort of opening statement saying there was companies that I hadn't come across, but I'm pleased that you asked me to do this. This is the one. This right. is the one, you know, my two hours of research last night. This is the one that I went, yep, I'm going to start having a good old look at this one. Uh, simply, as soon as I saw Otmar Weiss was involved, he's a, a uh, independent director. I worked with Otmar at Macquarie. And uh, incredibly smart individual. He owns 7% of the business. So as soon as I saw that, I went, I'm doing the deeper dive. Uh, No COVID exposure or impact from COVID. 70% of their revenue is recurring and continuing to win new business. The CEO owns 30% of the company. Uh, The shares are up 67% per annum over the last five years. Again, remembering the benchmark is up 5.5%. And they recently did a share purchase plan at $2.20. And I think the share price is around about $3.91 at the moment. This is one that you should be having a good close look at. This is a good business, quality people involved, the numbers stack up. 
Yeah, um, but by the look of that chart, it's not not very uh, not very liquid at all. <laughs> oh, but again, that, again, that's the whole issue with all these ones, Koshi. Yep. You know, yeah, it's a yeah. $99 billion company. Sometimes these companies do placements simply just to try and get some more liquidity going through. Right. Um, because, again, you know, if you've got the CEO owning 30% of the company, I mean, that in itself is going to be sort of slowing it down a bit. Yep. Um, so that's certainly something you need to be cautious of. All right. Uh, tick there on Energy One from uh, from Andrew. Uh, Rick. <laughs> Townsville real estate only comes on the market so often. But um, I guess like that trade by appointment kind of graph was was quite scary, wasn't it? I mean, we we both thought uh, this is one to be very careful of. You know, like there is a business there. Their revenues are growing. It's, uh, you know, their revenues last year, 15 million. Uh, I would just say in relation to energy, it's quite highly regulated business. So it's quite hard to get, um, your foot in the door in, a, in markets. They are very differentiated. So there, there's a lot of regulatory risk that small cap investors kind of need to be wary about, you know, because these guys are pretty smooth operators, the, the people selling the company, um, the company themselves and often brokers when they're looking to do placements because yeah. these sort of companies will n- need to raise money. So I would just be um, sort of quite sceptical of that. Of, of its ability to enter, enter yeah. different markets. Like there's a company called Octopus Energy that's in the UK. Yep. And they've got a platform for, for the um, sort of front-end um, energy kind of retail. And, yeah, and, but that, that's a billing platform, yeah, yeah. isn't it? Whereas the, this is a trading platform for... Is, to buy electricity off the grid at a good price. Yeah, but price people and, can. Yeah, but I'm just saying in terms of the in terms of the technology, trying to get into that yeah. market is quite hard. But yeah, exactly like this. I, I just um I just would like to see a bit more of a, yeah. a, a you know a, a, like they, the the revenues went from seven million to fifteen million last year. I'd like to see. Yeah. I'd like, but you know, having said that, the fixed costs are, yeah. are quite low, so there is leverage there, but yeah. I'd like to see a bit more of a track record. Uh, the acquisition of that French company has given them access to 18 different countries now. Well, that's not, like yeah, that. so it that's, sounds like, as Andrew's saying, there's a good story there. You just yeah, want to see, yeah. you just want to see. Put some good investors in y- it. Yeah, well, you, well, you, you just want to see, sometimes in investing, it's better to travel than to arrive. And there is so much hype. You really want to see an unproven management deliver. Yep. Okay. And, and that's what I, I often think people get carried away with the story. But then when, you know, when the, what happens when the dog catches the car? Yeah. You know, yeah. like it's just, you've got time to get into these stocks. You yep. don't have to rush in. And I think that trade by, by appointment, obviously, I don't know much about the company, right? Um, but I'm just saying okay. I would like to see I would like to see a bit more of the trend carry through. Okay. What about Vault Intelligence, which well, don't uh, get lost Ebert, in the vault. Ebert has suggested currently under a takeover bid by by the look of it from Damstra, um, and um, they've released quarterly re, quarter, quarterly results. Share price uh, has been going okay. You know, in this current environment, David, like growth is so hard to achieve that companies really are looking at small cap companies to achieve that growth. So yep. acquisition, M&A activity you know, has been on ice, but I think we're going to see that ramp up. Come, so come so I think it. that's yep. just another reason why 
if you're, you've got a portfolio, why a couple of irons in the small cap space is, is, yeah. is, a, is a good diversification strategy. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> uh, Andrew, did you have a look at, uh, at Vault? I did. And I think Damstra's, you know, onto a good thing because if you look at the combined entity, the combined entity is going to have something like four to 500,000 users. Uh, I note that Regal is on the register for Vault as well, so Regal Funds Management. Right. So Phil King, who's a highly regarded investor, uh, they've got around 15% of the company. So they've got Chinese exposure, which again, in the context of the geopolitical environment, is probably a little bit of a short-term concern. But that whole software as a service around risk and around health, uh, HR, it's certainly absolutely in the right space. It is trading above the offer, sort of the implied price was around 47 cents at the time the offer was made. But uh, yeah, look, I, I quite like it. And one that I'll be following closely from mid-October once the two companies are together, because it certainly does seem to be a pretty yeah, so, sticky sort of business. So then you'd you'd look at Damster and say, okay, has it, has it been valued into the new combined company, the merge company? Yeah, I'd look at that. But equally, Koshi, as we also know, when companies merge together um, in the short term, there can be some issues there, especially around should, trying to bring two two organisations together and the cultural fits and yeah. you know trying to find those efficiencies. So that would be a bit of an amber light for me. But I think high level SAAS is a business. Uh, OC Health and Safety is certainly a growth area. Having scale with four to 500,000 customers if they can get that execution right over that nine, 12 months whilst they're betting the two businesses in together, uh, it certainly mm. does look interesting. It's not a buy at the moment, but you know when you've got Phil King and friends saying, look, we want to own 15% of this, as in yep. Vault, they own 15%, uh, that's a big tick for me. Phil okay. is no doubt. All right, uh, put it on the watch list. Um, Andrew, Julian has asked for a view on Berkeley Energia, which is a... Um, uh, uranium exploration and, and development company, sort of based in Spain by the look of it, or its projects? Yeah. Uh, yes, I could bring out a few faulty tales jokes, but probably inappropriate. Is <laughs> not um, rat, is hamster. Uh, if you have a look at the business itself and the industry that it's in, so uranium, for those who have followed uranium, uranium has gone nowhere for years, like literally years. And then the moment that COVID came along, it spiked up about 25 to 30%, the uranium price. And that's due to supply constraints. And we're also starting to see a bit of a pickup in uh, demand uh, from producers, uh, from uh, energy uh, companies as well. Because the, because the market's been so flat for a while, plus we've had all these decommissioned nuclear weapons coming along, basically the market has been in oversupply that is now changing so that's a big positive for berkeley uh they've actually got forward orders once they can get that mine in spain up and going at around 42 dollars a pound the spot price at the moment is around 32 dollars a pound from memory so and they're holding 92 million in cash they're only burning through about 7 million a year the issue being of course how much is it going to actually cost them to get this mine up and going um but yeah, certainly an interesting business, albeit as an aside, the whole politics around uh, nuclear power and so forth. So from an ESG, Koshi, you and I have spoken about ESG before. Yep. It, this one might fail the ESG test, but just from a simple business point of view, certainly looks interesting. Okay. All right. Uh, Richard, what do you think of Berkeley? 
Uh, like, you know, it stood out from a lot of the other companies, you know, it's like, you know, it has earnings. Yep. Uh, it's up fourfold. You know, the uranium price, as Andrew is saying, spiked 30% since COVID because of supply constraints. Yep. So, um, I don't know, if I was a holder, I'd probably be taking profits, but yep. I, um, yeah, I think uh, definitely, definitely like there's more interest in the uranium sector yeah. now. It's been a hard road for them. Uh, over over oh, years and years. Yeah, Everyone... I just think things are just moving moving so fast in the energy space. It's just, yep. um, what do you think? Yeah, yeah. No, you're like, the no, expert. No, no, but I'm just, yeah, I'm, I'm well, just. thanks I'm for not, that. I'm not, I'm not a uranium <laughs> specialist. Like, well, I'm just saying in terms of energy overall, we all, we all yeah. pay, pay our energy bills. And I'm seeing more excitement in um, kind of renewable energy at yes. the moment. Yeah. Uranium has been put into the mix, but who wants uranium yeah. in their backyard? Yeah. Like it's like not just a it's, a, it's an overall society kind of issue, yeah. which um, I would say... I just don't know enough about um, yeah. how well placed uranium is yeah. to to um, to be a, a viable energy um, and a, and a, provi- a viable and energy provider. Has it been for a well Olympic Dam, Andrew? I think is the biggest uranium uh, deposit in the world, isn't it? But um, they're not doing much of the money. And who did I interview this week on Osbys, who uh, was a uranium expert, and they were telling me. The vast majority of the world's uranium mm. comes from decommissioned nuclear warheads. Yeah, that's what that's what Andrew was <laughs> at the, at the saying moment, earlier. What you were saying before. Yeah. And, uh, so I'm just I saying, just found that fascinating. It's a hard. It's a hard. Like you're really trying to make a big call on that. Yeah. On that. On that side of things, and yeah. it's. Um, I would just say it's impressive that they're making profits, and um, I would be taking profits. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> All right. What do you think? Our final stock from Nick uh, in Petty Med, um, Richard, uh, involved in designing and manufacturing medical de- devices, um, and have uh, have some FDA uh, approved. Yeah. No, I've covered this stock for a long time, yeah. um, David. It's. Uh, <laughs> Like when we first covered it, they got they they've got this bio impedance spectro- spectroscopy right. um, technology that's um, used to diagnose um, lymphedema, which is a condition that occurs after uh, often occurs after cancer. Yep. And the good thing about it is it's uh, consumable, so you need it three times a year in the post cancer right. condition. So the current sort of standard of care is a tape measure, but they realise the swelling can't actually, you, you know, a tape measure can't. It, it might show up swelling, but it can't no. actually show up right. that you're going to get lymphedema, which is a dangerous condition. Um, so it, it initially, like was when we first tipped it, it went like it went from like twenty cents to a dollar or something. Yep. Um, and uh, on the hype of getting um, reimbursement, um, but like over time, like the enthusiasm for the stock waned when people realized just how hard it was getting private payer reimbursement, which right. was more important. So now I think um, they've got to a situation where they've got enough cash on board and they're getting these big studies that they've been doing. There's more data coming out, like they have a big um, five, a, a thousand plus prevent trial. So now they're starting to get real traction on, on the um, you know, clinical trial side of things. Yeah. And I think hospitals are starting to get more more aware of the cost of not of 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 not um, diagnosing lymphedema. 
right. and there are there are other other conditions that it can diagnose. Okay. So we think that it's a very speculative bet, and there's a, a lot that needs to go right. But you're not paying for that upside right. now, <coughs> Andrew. Well, Koshi, it took you 10 companies, but you finally got there, a Queensland company. Uh, thanks very much. I, I do appreciate that. Um, look, the, the thing with this company is most of its revenue comes from the US. So obviously, it's been impacted from COVID. Uh, it's holding around $20 million in cash, and its recurring revenue is up about 50-odd percent, and it makes an 86% profit margin. So, you know, these are all good things, the, the cash bid. Uh, obviously, I'm concerned about that rising Aussie dollar or weakening US dollar. There's also about $17 million worth of options that could potentially, subject to where the share price goes, be converted into shares. So that's, you know, that overhang that we've spoken about before. I like the fact that the chair and the CEO have been in there buying shares, but the share price is down 40% per annum, per annum over the last five years. Yeah. So it certainly is one, as Richard said, it's been all over the show, up to a dollar, down to eight cents. Uh, it is a punter's dream, but, you know, albeit a Queensland company, I'd have to say okay. I'm, I'm out. Sorry. <laughs> All right. Let's quickly wrap up the final uh, five stocks. Quick step. Uh, Richard quite liked. Um, no from Andrew. Energy One. Andrew uh, uh, sees some appeal there. Richard, no. Uh, Vault. Um, when it merges with Damstra, um, Andrew's going to keep watching it to see how that, uh, that merger actually pans out. Uh, Berkeley a, uh, a no and Impedimed a no as well. Um, Andrew Wheeler, great to see you. Thanks for joining us. Have a great weekend. And uh, Richard Hemming from Under the Radar, really appreciate your time today and all your analysis. ACAST powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. The Real Housewives is a guilty pleasure for most, but if you're looking to not feel guilty about that pleasure, tune in to Everything Iconic with me, Danny Pellegrino, where I break down all the messy moments and behind-the-scenes antics of Bravo's popular franchise. And on Everything Iconic, I also interview celebrity guests like Kelly Ripa, Kiki Palmer, Drew Barrymore, Cameron Diaz, and more about their guilty pleasures, their past work, and so much more. So if you're pop culture obsessed and find yourself watching way too much reality TV like me, tune in to Everything Iconic with Danny Pellegrino, wherever you listen to podcasts. ACAST helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. ACAST.com.